Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. Um, two sort of roundtables this week. First up is sports business daily media writer John Oran and myself, and we discussed the uh, Wall Street Journal examination of ESPN's current business, as well as uh, John's story that just broke as we were taping this, uh, Keith Oberman getting a big deal at ESPN. And uh, Chad Finn and Robert Littell, Chad Finn at the Boston Globe, Robert Littell, the founder and editor of Black Sports Online. They are part of a second roundtable. We take a deep dive in terms of the NFL's new national anthem policy and how the media is going to cover that, how rights holders will cover that as the season kicks off, the differences between the NFL and the NBA's approach to this issue, as well as some talk about uh, Fox's acquisition of the WWE and ESPN's acquisition of UFC. So a lot of media talk in this one coming up. I think you're going to enjoy it on the Sports Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. All right, first up, my guest is the fine sports business daily media writer, John O'Ran. He's been on this podcast before. He's been on the previous podcast many, many, many times. John, uh, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, where's your Canadian accent? You sound just the same. I know, John. I'm, I'm off. I, this is, by the way, just to let uh, lististeners know, this is the fifth intro I've done. I'm so off my game. <laughs> Because as John has I've left, I've used the same joke for all five. You have, shows, yeah, too, and it's way. and it's bad. And I apologize to Lou Pellegrino, my producer as well. I'm just I'm so off today; it's ridiculous. So I'll try to get back on. I want to, um, John. You, by the way, this morning as we're taping this on um, Friday, May 25th, you broke the news that Keith Oberman is returning yet again to ESPN. Um, well, we'll get- ESPN will say he's not returning; uh, that he had already mm-hmm. returned in January. Then this is sort of expanding what he had already been done uh, been doing in January. Yes, but I think by the letter of the law that is correct. We will get into that uh, Oberman going uh, doing sports center features, guest hosting, MLB hosting and play by play. That play part by is play. Crazily yeah, crazy. int- yeah, OTL PTI um you know, the man uh has made yet another return to ESPN. We'll get into that in a little bit. Kudos for you to uh breaking that. But first off, um The Wall Street Journal, John, a couple days ago, had a very long examination of ESPN's business. Um, As part of that story, obviously, they looked at cord cutting and they looked at the numbers declining. Probably the most notable or the thing that really got a lot of talk about that story was, of course, um, ESPN executives' comments, um, uh, including Jimmy Pitaro. I'm not sure it was an exact quote from him, but it was one of those sources close to Pitaro talking about how they they really were – affected by all the coverage out there, uh, true or not true, in terms of ESPN letting its talent express too much about politics or ESPN talking uh, politics or social justice too much. I want to get into that because there's there's important context there. But first off, I know you read the piece. What did you think of the the Wall Street Journal piece that sort of examined where ESPN's business is in May of 2018. Well, I mean, it was a thoroughly reported piece. I, I know that they've been re- working on this over, over there for several months. And for me, the uh, I, I thought that it was a, a really good deep dive into ESPN. For me, what I found to be really fascinating was uh, the relationship between Iger and, and Skipper. Definitely. And the, the story had a ton of details about how and why Iger lost trust and confidence in Skipper. I mean, for, for me, it, it, that, that almost was like, here's the reason, here's the real reason why Skipper left ESPN. It was for, and that was the first place of that, that I saw it. Um, I just thought that, you know, the, the, there was a story about 
a skipper at, at, at the SB's party hopping while Iger, the head of Walt Disney Company, is waiting for him at a plane, and they call him, and he's like, ah, I'm not going to be able to make it. And, you know, so there was, you know, another, another instance. They had instances just of Skipper acting erratically so that when, when Skipper finally went to Iger and said, this wasn't in the story, but you can, you can assume from the story, when Skipper finally went to Iger and said, I'm being blackmailed and, and, and this, is, this is what's happening – I, 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 I had already given him a second chance. Everybody thought that that was his first chance. Why wouldn't they give him a second chance? But it appears that he had already had a couple of second chances. Was that so? It yeah. got so far, Richard. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm doing a, a ramble here. No good. But good it got good so go. far that Iger actually had Disney look into uh, Skipper's phone records. I mean, this, this this there was a lack of trust there that. I, I had never heard of, and I, I, I found that, that part of the story to be really, really fascinating. I agree. Um, absolutely. Some sort of behind-the-scenes stuff on um, on the relationship between, between Skipper and Iger. John, to sort of focus on this, and I think you're going to agree with me, very clear that the sourcing on the story is Disney, um, at least in my interpretation of this, Disney sourcing really wanting that out there. Because to make um, to sort of make publicly that Skipper was acting erratically, um, whether it is correct, true or not, um, it does sort of the the converse of this is it sets up that Jimmy Pitaro is a more stabilizing force. Jimmy Pitaro is the right guy to write the ship. Jimmy Pitaro is the guy coming in to um, fix Skipper's problems. That was the interesting subtext to me john it was very clear that um i think if you're disney brass you're pretty in my opinion you're pretty happy with this piece would you agree uh yeah i i, I wouldn't go so far as you did to say that they actually wanted to get this out there but i you know the, the a couple people that i talk talk to about this story you know the, the i think the first two or three use the phrase boy they really threw skipper under the bus so, yeah. so it really does come across that way um and and i think that there is her reporting confirms what I've been doing as well, which is there's a whole morale at ESPN that when Skipper left and before Skipper left, you know, with all the layoffs and cord cutting and, and, every, and, and everything, it was so low. And really, in the two months that Guitar has been around, you know, it hasn't turned around. It isn't a magical panacea, but it's not as low as it once was. There is a perceptible uh, – I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on this, but – to me, it seems like there's been a perceptible bump of like, okay, you know what? We're we're now like we're starting to write the ship. We're not sort of listing anymore. Yeah, and by the way, full marks to Shalini at um, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right at the Wall Street Journal um, because again, a lot of reporting here, stuff nobody's ever read. Um, so full marks for her work on that. There, there's some parts in the piece um, that I don't maybe not particularly agree with is the right phrase, but I think. My, the sort of how I look at things is a little differently than that piece. But that said, um, John, I would agree with you in that, um, you know, some of this has to do with the acquisitions of UFC. And some of this has to do with at least there are people internally who, you know, they want Sports Center to be traditional again. And so, you know, I think in some quarters, yeah, I think there are people who think the ship is being righted. I think there are other ESPN employees who, um, you know, are, they're, I think, maybe a little um, fearful about the new management sort of blowing up everything Skipper um, 
Skipper sort of stood for. And one of the things Skipper certainly stood for was pretty rigorous investigative journalism, particularly on the NFL. Um, I do want to ask you, John, this is always, and we've talked about this many, many, many times. And it's always interesting that the the narrative out there about ESPN becoming too left-leaning, too political, and I, I guess, you know, clearly ESPN executives reacted to that. It, it's always interesting to me, John, that I, I think what gets conflated is what the talent is what, – what some of the talent is doing on social media and online and what is actually being talked about on the linear channels or digital channels. Both of us watch probably too much ESPN and too much ESPN programming. Do you agree with me that no doubt on social media there are ESPNers who are – I mean you know where they stand and they are left-leaning or progressive or, uh, or I have things to say about Donald Trump – but generally speaking, this does not float on this. Their 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 thinking or their tweets do not end up on air. They're they're not doing this on NFL Live or on First Take every day or on Sports Center. And that's where I always think this these two things get conflated. Are you with me on this, or am I being, or maybe am I being too soft here? And like the fact is that this stuff has gotten on air. Uh, I'm with you to a certain point. I'm not going to go as far as you. I think that that. You know, they do cover some of this on, on SportsCenter or they, they, they did cover some of this on like SE6, you know, but what they would say on SE6, you have a producer, you have sort of editors and, and you're able to so, sort of more thoughtfully put it out as opposed to a, a, a quick sort of reactionary tweet. Right. But I also think that what, what you're um, sort of papering over is the, the sense of what they're doing on social media is as ESPN employees and it's as ESPN talent. And, and so, you know, I, well, Jamel Hill's not a good example because I think Jamel Hill has got her, her own brand now, but I think that, you know, there are, there are, uh, that, that what I mean is she has her own brand that goes beyond ESPN. I understand. But there, there, there are a lot of people that who, they, they represent ESPN. I, I feel like, you know, I have SBJ on my uh, Twitter account. Um, and, and so what I tweet out, reflects on SBJ. And I'm, I'm conscious of that, I think. Uh, uh, and, and so there was a big group of uh, executives at, e- at ESPN who saw these tweets and it just, it really rankled them, you know, and, and, uh, and, and Skipper didn't mind them so much, but it, it rankled a lot of the, of, of the executives because you know, the whole thing about ESPN and they, they, they used to annoy me terribly every executive that you would interview would be like you know we're here to serve the sports fan right and they would say that and it just became this, this like stupid mantra and i'm like all right let's get let's get through this but they didn't view it as a stupid mantra they were like you know we do want to serve the sports fan so when we're talking about trump irrespective of like the anthem protests or any of that other stuff is that serving the sports fan or is that just sort of like inflaming things you know and it was like that that they they felt that they lost that focus to where, you know, they weren't saying And in fact, people would stop saying that in, in the interviews over the past several years. I bet you under Pataro, they start saying that again. Uh, listen, I appreciate your perspective. And we are, we do disagree here a little bit because I, I, I find, um, to me, I think your social media feed ultimately should reflect and be honest and transparent about what you believe beyond the scope of your specific job responsibilities. That said, I'm a realist and I understand that at a corporation like ESPN, um, they have the right as employers 
to make the judgment that what you tweet ultimately reflects on them. I, legally, I'm not sure I buy that, and I'm not even sure I buy that. Um, maybe morally is not the right word, but but certainly philosophically. But but I, I I do respect and appreciate where you're coming from, John. And I have no doubt that, and I know this for a fact. Not even I have no doubt. There definitely have been management people who do not like how active. Um, how active some of their talent is on social media. Um, you know, it'd be interesting if they if they feel there are certainly more, I think, left-leaning people than right-leaning people at ESPN. I'd be curious if they think the same about Will Kane's Twitter feed. Um, maybe they do, maybe they don't. What I, what I do think, John, though, is this, and again, this is sort of just an observation, um, they, they have been doing their part, at least on the over-the-air stuff or the digital stuff, to mitigate some of these conversations. So I ask you, in the last day even, with the NFL's national anthem decision, did you see any decline of conversation on this throughout ESPN Audio, ESPN TV, ESPN Digital? Because that would maybe be, maybe key something off a little bit, that things under Pataro are a little bit different than if things were under Skipper? I, I haven't noticed that. But to me, the the whole idea of serving the sports fans, that, that's, a, that's a, as much a sports story as it is a, a political story. I agree. That, that, that's, a, that, that's an area where you, are, you can wade into, in, into that area. Uh, if, if, if you're, um, I, I think that's, that's an area where ESPN executives are okay with you wading into that. I think they're less okay with you sort of, sort of saying what your opinion is on, on the death penalty. Or or, th- or things along those lines. What about I, 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 what about the president of the United States? Do you think that changes under Pataro that there that if you have an opinion about a decision Donald Trump makes, you're going to get called into your immediate boss by ESPN? I I don't know. I think I think it depends on how you make that that uh, that, that tweet or how how you make that Facebook post. Uh, but but I I do think that there's a a, a push of saying like you know. It, it, especially if you're a reporter, you know, it, it not it's not stick to sports, but serve the sports fan and 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 be conscious of that. John, where do you stand on because this was a big part of the piece on how much ESPN spent on sports rights, specifically Skipper and maybe even specifically the NBA deal. You know, uh, the NBA deal, people uh, get uh, lampoon a lot, and and uh, I, I know that when Skipper cut that deal. There were a lot of people internally that that uh, suggested that, that he was overpaying. Um, I I have to tell you that in covering this stuff for decades, you know, everybody complained about overpaying at the beginning of the contract. <laughs> right. By the end of the contract, it, it, it all of a sudden it looks like a good deal again. Um, and and the, the NBA right now is in an ascendancy. And I just I, I think it's interesting that everybody's pointing to ESPN and, and the NBA deal and saying, look, see. But what about Turner? They did essentially the exact same deal. And, and you know, few people are pointing to Turner and saying, you know, uh, I mean, t- Turner's on the, on the, maybe not on the ascendancy, but, you know, Turner's doing okay right now. Um, so I, I, I don't want to make a judgment, yes or no. I, I know in history, like, it's hard to overpay for rights. And I, I, I think that you can make a determination in a couple of years of whether uh, wh- whether it was a good deal or not. Yeah, that's interesting, Tig. I think I think it's going to turn out to be a good deal for some of the things you said. Leagues in ascendancy, median age in terms of viewers in the 40s, which is really really young for sports. Major stars um, in the league. It's a global sport. It hits the right demos, especially if you want to bring people of color in. But you're right. We'll see at the end of the deal. 
Um, and it's given ESPN an identity. ESPN really has become a pretty significant NBA um, uh, force or player in the in the market. The thing in the Wall Street Journal story, John, that maybe, um, and this is where I sort of st- step in in terms of, I think, understanding the larger story of ESPN's declining subs, is if you look around um, at other other um, networks, the declines are great. You know, Fox News is down. Um, and You know, go around the cable universe. This is your world. You used to work for Cable Facts. Um, ESPN's declines are certainly dramatic and noteworthy, but they're 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 sort of in line with the entire business. Correct? Yeah, they, uh, the the cord cutting is affecting everybody, and 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 the entire cable industry is is suffering from it. Um, uh, you know, the the every, everybody looks at the millennials. They're watching games and they're watching television differently. I mean, uh, they, you know, people like you and me sit down and watch entire games. In general, because it's it's hard to you know, I'm sure there are plenty of millennials that do the same thing. But in general, they they snack a lot more. They come in and they they come out, or right. they're, they're fine with, with with the highlights. And this is this is not only an issue for ESPN and Turner and and everybody else. This is an issue that the leagues are looking into. Like, how can we get our games in front of those people so that they like? What can we do? Because we know they're not going to sit for a three hour game, you know, and and. and uh, I think that, that that's uh, that's what um, you referenced the UFC deal that ESPN did, and that's what I find to be uh, most fascinating about that. that. That to me wasn't an ESPN deal; that was an ESPN Plus deal. Yeah, I mean, true. Here we are, ESPN going away from this whole cable bundle, and, and they're not going away from the cable bundle. There, there's going to be some events on ESPN, but they're really ESPN. That that deal to me showed that ESPN Plus is more than sort of buying beachfront property and just letting it exist to see to see if that's where everything's going. They're investing in it and they're getting real good programming to get in there. And I, I mean, they're 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 doing really interesting things with it. Yeah, I thought that was an excellent deal for them for that exact reason. I think it just gives ESPN Plus that much more of an additive value for especially for young people who want to. Who want to uh, check that out? Do you? Um, and if you're a UFC fan, you're going to pay five bucks a month. I bet. Well, most likely, that's true. Um, something about that piece, John, that was not really covered a lot, but I think is worth examining because it was an interesting um, ad in there. Um, sort of reference that maybe Pataro thinks differently. But do you think debate is in decline, or will be in decline in ESPN? I, when I was reading that, and you know, there's a line in there, sort of in. Um, the, that the reporter had that Pataro's thinking is to get back to more traditional sports center and maybe less opinions um, from talent. Do you see that? Do you see debate at all in decline at, at ESPN when it was, you know, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, you know, the whole marketplace was like, it's all going to be debate now and everything else is done. I don't know if I see it in, in decline. I mean, the, the, there's, Building a brand new set down at you know the, the seaport and for for, uh, for first take. I mean, so, so you're still going to have first take, and you're still going to have PTI, and you're still going to have around the horn. So you're you're still going to have a, a lot of uh, of those uh, type of shows. I think that you might have a lot less sort of you know debate type segments on on Sports Center yep. um, that that you had. Uh, but I, I don't think that it suggests that you know the debate's going down. I mean the the, the the ratings would suggest that the debate's not going down. I mean, First Take is still doing, doing, uh, uh, you know, relatively well. Yeah, do, relatively well compared to other stuff at ESPN. Do you have any sense? Um, 
this is not necessarily going to be a debate show, but certainly a uh, a um, personnel or POV driven, conversational driven show. Do you have any sense if this Pablo Torre, Bomani Jones show will do well viewership wise? To me, it's tricky because Get Up has not provided obviously. Um, any kind of lead-in for first take. First take's numbers are, well, again, in the ESPN universe, good. They're down um, from their heights. And then that lead-in goes to the new Jones-Tory show. But first take seems very different um, philosophically, uh, including the hosts, uh, than Bomani Jones and Pablo Torre. Um, and noon is a, kind of always an odd time in sports television. What's your, what's your, what's your thought on that? They do have Eric Rideholm, who's sort of, you know, not that sort of, but exactly the, what I was about. Yeah, the best the best producer that ESPN has, so that's always a huge thing. It's it's a, it's tricky to figure out if this show is going to hit or not for me. Um, I I would always bet with Ryan Holm. I think that that he's super smart in terms of what he does. I think that the talent that they that they have there and and, and uh, Pablo and Bomani are, uh, are 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 actually I think they're really good, uh, and so I I would expect it to be okay. And it, I think the whole idea of, of the lead in being different from the lead in. Uh, Round the Horn has been leading into PTI and vice versa for for decades now, and and I don't think that that's that's, that's hurt either show. Um, so I, I, you know, like with uh, Get Up, like I, I still think it's so early to to be crunching these ratings numbers. I mean, it, it, it's it's I, I'd like to give it about six months. Most people in in TV and entertainment TV say like you know eighteen months, you know, but I I like to give six to to, to uh, look in. So I. I I'm not going to really be paying attention for the first couple of months of what their ratings are, but I think after six months, if you see a, you know ratings growth and you see a, a line going upwards, you know that's that's a, something to take a look at. John, are you find the Twitter feed that that publishes GetUp's viewership numbers every day. That's it's a singular, <laughs> singular focused feed. <laughs> Wait, is there really a feed? There, out there? is. So yeah, I'm not. I think it's something like what what did GetUp rate today or what to get up you to it's yeah it's incredible it's out there it's, uh, i i will say that i think it's being run by i think of, it's run by the fs1 pr department it's not but, but who knows the, right. the amount of interest being shown in in uh in, in get up and its ratings and the amount of glee it seems i know and and in, uh, in, in the the ratings being down i don't know if i've 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 seen this since uh, Paw Patrol and and, uh, and Skip Bayless. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Um, no, I think I think what it what uh, fairly or unfairly, I think the reason for some Schadenfreude is that the the salaries were published by Marissa Guthrie. Absolutely, that's yes. that's the only yes, reason. If if you, um, you listen, there's going to be people who obviously have their agendas against the ESPN. We all know who they are. But in terms of sort of your average sports fan, I think if there's any Schadenfreude. From them, I, that's the reason. You'd agree is that basically it's just been out there now. Greenberg making six and a half million, Beetle five million, whatever. Jalen Rose is making four million, three million, and so I think that's that's sort of where that comes from. Although, the, of course, the irony of all this is like you know um, that's far far less than any NFL owner is making. Um, you know, there's still sort yeah, of there's also workers that, every that, day. That one story that they're they're still having trouble getting away from from the Hollywood Reporter. Yep. That, you know, said it was going to be woke. You know, and and which I, I guess is a, gives sort of real liberal connotations. Yeah, yeah, but no, it's a yeah, it's a, a sort of sort of a, it's always a, a danger word uh, for people who are trying to be vanilla. I mean, no offense, but like Mike Greenberg may be um, the least like political person in the entire company. <laughs> So you're going to see that, say, the least woke person. I mean, maybe he has some woke attributes, but, you know, Mike (laughs) Greenberg is not the guy you're going to uh, when it comes to a large scale discussion on, um, 
you know, social injustice race in this country. No disrespect to him. It's just not what he's ever done. So, yeah, I, I don't see that show as that. Um, I also, as I've said many times, I don't I think long term that that show is not going to succeed I, I, for many, many different reasons. We'll see if I turn out to be wrong, but that's. Um, you know, I'm on the record. Yeah, I, I, I have the over and you have the under That's, on that one. We I, do. I, yep. I, I think it's going to be all right. Um, two more for you here. What is the next big rights deal that we should be paying attention to now that UFC is locked up? Hockey or something else? Fuck. I, I know that, I know that um, some soccer leagues were coming up. I don't know if you consider that super big, La Liga and some others, but... Is there one off the top of your head that's a uh... you know, off the top of my off the top of my head? I I, I don't I don't really know. I I do know that um, that the uh, UFC was sort of the last big rights deal. Yeah. Until 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 you get to sort of you know 2020, 2021, 2022, and that's when you're going to see the NHL come up. You're going to yeah. see MLB come up. You're going to see the NFL come up, and that's that's really when um, you know the, you you could see a whole big sea change, and that's really when all of the cord cutting could really affect the, the, the bids coming in. That's when the, maybe that's the where, digital players come in? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's where potentially an Amazon or a Google or one of these really deep-pocketed digital players come in. And that's where it's going to be interesting, where you're going to, you're going to have a league at some point deciding, I'm going to take more money and be streamed via you know Facebook than, uh, than taking less money, money and, and a, get potentially bigger audience on a on um, one of the TV networks. I, 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 again, I'm just reading the tea leaves here, and it's um, and it's very early. But you read any kind of tea leaves about ESPN maybe getting a little more back into hockey? I, I know NBC likes the property, and maybe they try to hold. But um, you know, I know they have some stuff on ESPN Plus. It just I don't know. Am I reading into this, or my thought is that they may be more interested in hockey heading forward than uh, under Jimmy Pitaro than they would have been under John Skipper. I'm so happy you brought up hockey with the Capitals in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, congrats. Uh, Richard. So I'm, I'm, I'm eager to talk about, uh, about it, Ovi and Oholpi and all that stuff. Um, I, do, I do know that, that ESPN would like uh, – will, will kick the tires on hockey. Um, and I, I know that uh, NBC loves having hockey. And, uh, and, and I think hockey is, is one of these um, – uh, it's a tentpole um, um, uh, league uh, for, for rights, for uh, TV rights. And so – those those are the two that I'd be really taking a look at, and if you're again, if you are Amazon, that's also a league where you you, you know if you want to sneak in and grab something like the NHL is, is you know one of the. But let me put it this way: the NFL is one that TV networks are going to pay to keep. Yeah. You know, the NBA is is one the TV networks are going to pay to keep. Um, NHL, they're going to they're going to command less of a rights fee. And so that's that's an area perhaps where an, a, a digital company can come in. Their fan is, NHL fans also typically, uh, the, the NHL says this, are you know, sort of more digitally focused. Um, so that's that's also something that they would be taking a look at too. John, I'm going to get into this more with the the next panel with Chad Finn, Robert Latell. But um, what is your sense of um, NFL rights holders covering the story? before the game of those who may not come out for the anthem versus those who do. Again, um, and I think the, the rights holders admitted this, it's very tricky terrain for them. They're not exactly sure what to do. I mean, I always think the approach is like the right approach is sort of what Fred Goodelli says is you 
what is in front of you on the field, you cover. It's a news story. You got to cover it. I and I obviously agree with that. But you know, in the re- in the real world, uh, the rights holders do not want to piss off um, the league. The league ultimately has leverage of. Um, on these rights holders because they control the inventory. And some of these networks without the NFL would be in serious peril, certainly Fox now with their new strategy. So um, I'm asking you to crystal ball a little bit, but what do you, what do you anticipate come September? Uh, I anticipate week one. It's a huge story, and every single network at every single game will be panning the players and seeing and seeing what's happening because that's a, that's a big story, especially if, if, uh, if people do kneel and there is a 15-yard penalty that that affects the game that they that they cover, right? So, so I I think that uh, it's hard to crystal ball because it's hard to know know what's going to happen. But I would expect that um, if people are kneeling, the uh, the TV cameras will be covering it because there's going to be a penalty in in, in, the, in the game. Uh, and I think that anybody that decides like you know that they're they're just going to you know stay away from that. They're they're now committed to covering it, don't you think? I agree. I mean, I think it's a news. St- I don't know how you, I don't know how you. Oh, I, I think going beyond the news story, it actually affects the game. It's part of the game. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say I don't I I don't know how you could sort of even even if you were the ultimate sort of you know league owned sort of apparatus, I, I don't know how you could justify not. Um, NFL Network would have to cover. Yeah, it yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. haven't watched the NFL Network of the last. 24 to 48 hours. Be really curious to see how they're approaching this. They never, they're never really critical of Roger Goodell, but um, you know, it, it, it is a story that I think they have to cover, even if they're ultimately sort of can only go uh, so far. John, is there anything else uh, that you want to bring up? Oh, Oberman. I'm sorry. Let's finish with that. We'll yeah, do that really quick. KL. We got to talk about. Keith yeah. All right. So John Orand uh, broke uh, uh, news this morning that Keith Oberman is. Um, uh, <laughs> I'll play the Josh. I'll phrase it in Josh Krulowitz-esque <laughs> uh, wording. He's expanding his ex- existing ESPN role um, by um, he will be. Uh, let's see here. He'll, he's he's going to be part of doing regular features on Sports Center. Um, he's going to be doing select studio and game assignments for MLB, including play by play. That is a New one. He'll be hosting segments for SportsCenter at the MLB All-Star Game. He will be doing part of studio shows, including co-hosting PTI and making guest appearances on OTL. And he will be doing as a he will also be a guest host um, and call-in host on um, ESPN Audio. Very clearly, Norby Williamson, who has Game of Thrones himself once again back into major power at ESPN, John. God bless Norby Williamson is a Game of Thrones player. And so um, he is the, 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 the management person on this uh, press release about Oberman. But again, this uh, yet another chapter for Keith Oberman at ESPN. Um, and he sort of, I felt like he was sort of, um, he was telegraphing this because he really had gotten away from anything political on his Twitter feed. He had been doing a lot of sports. He had been jumping on ESPN as sort of guest hosting, and now it's a more formalized position. Your thoughts? Yeah, and ESPN was uh, very forceful in saying he's not doing any politics whatsoever on air. Um, and and what I'm going to be curious is that he's going to be doing play-by-play for baseball for a handful of games. You know, starting yeah, with really a, interesting a Memorial Day one on ESPN Radio, but he's going to be on on uh, TV as well. Um, I think that he's also going to be ESPN's presence 
at big events. You know, he's going to be at baseball's all-star game. He's going to be at the World Series. He'll be sort of, you know, the, the on-field person there. So th- this isn't sort of – when he came back in January, it was sort of here and there and then a little tryout. Now he's going to be the, the, the face of ESPN pretty much at big events that are, that are going to command a lot of viewers. And I, I, I think that's a – you know, interesting thing for for ESPN to do. John, can I can I just make this sort of note? Uh, you do, we just read an entire Wall Street Journal story about how it, with the subtext of the the company wants to get away from politics, wants to get away from left leaning thought. It's changing, and again, I understand Overman uh, is not going to do this at uh, Sports Center, but my God, I mean, is there a person <laughs> in this country more <laughs> connected? to left-leaning progressive politics than Keith Overman. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful irony there. That said, Overman's a very smart guy. He is going to, I think, be incredibly disciplined and not go into any areas that are going to get him uh, in the soup with his bosses. But there is phenomenal irony in, 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 in sort of the, those two uh, polls there. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, will, he, he will stick to sports. And uh, and you know I think the ESPN is viewing him more as the ex Sports Center anchor than as an ex MSNBC uh, anchor. <laughs> oh, oh, I bet they are. No, no <laughs> doubt the PR department is. Um, all right, John Oran is the sports. I feel like ESPN PR should uh, should pay me for this. Um, oh my God, for, for this, 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 this appearance here. Oh my God, this, if you don't get a gift basket with a Dick Vitale uh, alarm clock. I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> All right. John O'Ran is the sports uh, – he's, he's the media writer for Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal. John, it's great to catch up with you. Um, I will, I'm sure, talk to you uh, soon and, uh, you know, continued success on getting scoops. Thanks, Artie. Today's episode of the Sports Media Podcast with Richard Deitch is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? Well, ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter does not stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applicants you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for absolutely free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Richard. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Richard. ZipRecruiter.com slash Richard. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, my thanks to John Oran for uh, always popping on and um, and having an interesting conversation. Um He's, uh, uh, I, John and I don't agree on all sorts of stuff, which I think makes for, I hope makes for an interesting uh, podcast. The next guy, a group of, uh, of guests, um, they don't always agree with me or each other as well, which is good. We have uh, Boston Globe media writer Chad Finn and Robert Littell, the founder and editor of Black Sports Online. Robert, Chad, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. All right, Robert. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You got it. Robert, I'm going to start with you. Um, Biggest story, I think, in the, over the last 48 hours as we're taping this is the NFL's decision on um, the national anthem and where players uh, can or cannot be and how people are reacting to that. Obviously, the president of the United States weighing in, very, very hot button 
story. Um, from a media perspective, Robert, and I, I know you've been sort of watching and listening to um, stuff over the last 24 hours, what's your take on how this story has sort of been playing? Um, and I'm making it very open-ended. You can take it anywhere you want. Well, I think, it, I think the story in and of itself is very similar to how the country uh, is taking it in, from a media perspective. Um, you have those media members that are on that side, uh, the NFL side, the Donald Trump side, the MAGA side, uh, trying to rationalize why it's a, a good decision. Uh, you have the media members who are known more for uh, taking the side of wanting to fight against racial injustice, uh, fight against police brutality and things that are coming on. And I'm talking about both white and black media members, not just black media members, uh, that are taking strong stances um, against the NFL and, and the decision. And that's kind of the sad thing to me is because the NFL had an opportunity, I think, uh, to where they really could have brought all of us kind of together, a little bit closer together, maybe the country a little bit closer together, uh, because I feel like any time that you side uh, with that Donald Trump side, uh, it's only going to, regardless of what your intentions are, uh, it, it's going to create more division. So now we have more division between the players in the NFL, between the fans, uh, in the NFL, it's odd because the the NFL keeps saying they don't want you know to be political, uh, but this is obviously uh, a political type of move. This, I mean, there's no other way to look at it. It's a it's a political move to appease one political you know party. And when you have the president, uh, one, he's being asked about it. You have the vice president saying winning, uh, which is very disturbing to me that they have a vice president says you're winning on a topic where the topic is these players are doing it because of police brutality and racial uh, injustice, it just draws a very clear line, uh, in my mind, with what certain media members think and, you know, what the NFL thinks uh, in regards to, to this issue and some of the issues of, of the players. And, and just one last thing, and, and I, I've been saying this, is that the NFL has the right to do this, you know, as a private business owners. Uh, but what it tells me is that if this was any other issue, if they decided, if players decided to kneel because of school shootings, uh, we wouldn't have had any of this type of, you know, issue. It's just the issue of racism and police brutality and things that are, you know, minorities find important um, that the NFL has pushed back against. And to me, that's, that's sad. I, I'm not even angry. I'm just, I'm just very sad that the, a sport that I love. Uh, that's that's the way the route that they decided to go with it. So yeah, it, to me, it's very disheartening. And when I see some you know media people uh, taking their side, you know, I note it, you know, just to make sure that I know who's on what side. Uh, I appreciate that. That's that. There, there's a lot of interesting sort of thoughts you have there, Chad. Uh, again, open ended to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree with what Robert said. Uh, he said it very very poignantly. I mean, uh, it, it, it's. They're, they're they're doing two things here, the NFL. They're trying to avoid a culture war and being dragged into that by Trump. Uh, and they're, Chris Long put it perfectly, they, they fear their diminished bottom line. It's about money that they were going to uh, start uh, losing television viewers and uh, going through the same sort of thing they did last year with the perception that the kneeling was affecting, uh, affecting the ratings and affecting how much money these billionaire owners are making. And so... Uh, once again, the, the NFL decided uh, it was going to sacrifice a few of its players to uh, try to appease uh, their, their own bank accounts. And 
I don't think it's really a surprise. My, the big surprise to me was Roger Goodell didn't mention the word integrity in his letter explaining all this because he usually ties that to every stupid decision he ever makes. So um, not not a huge surprise. I think Richard and, and Robert, one of the the big question, one of the big questions that I keep hearing from people is how come the NFL, NFL is getting all heat for this while the NBA has had this policy in place for a while and there's no backlash? And I think the answer is really obvious. The NBA uh, supports its players. We're seeing that with uh, with the Buck statement on what uh, Sterling Brown went through with the Milwaukee yep. Police. Uh, we see that with uh, what Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich uh, uh, say and do in support of their players, say and do uh, in support of racial uh, equality, uh, what LeBron James uh, and, and other high-profile, low-profile players around the league, their actions and their words, um, they're allowed to be men. They're allowed to be people and allowed to say what they want want to say, whereas the NFL is always trying to, I guess, uh, I don't know, subdue or uh, simplify or, or, I don't know, just uh, try to keep it as basic and uncontroversial as it possibly can and, and not to let players have their individual voice. I mean, the, the whole one of the absurdities about all of this is that the perception was that um, – the perception was that they, they were protesting the USA or being anti-American. And uh, I guess I have to give the NFL a little bit of credit for actually acknowledging what they were protesting in their statement with this, which is uh, in, in police injustice and police uh, injustice and police brutality and uh, everything that uh, started all this. But come on, uh, it's, uh, you can't compare the way the NBA and the NFL has handled these things, and that's why uh, the NBA gets the benefit of the doubt, because they allow their players to be human beings, and the NFL just looks at them as uh, a product. Yeah, I find that, and Robert, I'll let you weigh in on what Chad said. That, that, cool. that, that take is, and I saw it a lot yesterday, especially on Twitter, it's so disingenuous, because yeah. it is so clear that the NBA administration um, consults and talks to the NBA Players Association Adam Silver talked to the biggest stars in his league so and supports when NBA players, uh, either well-known or not as well-known, are um, comment on things that impact them, race, social justice, social activism. So the league has established, at least at a certain point, a massive level of trust with its players. Thus, if you have a rule where the the league says we want you to stand for whatever reason, optics or anything else, and the players say, okay, we will respect that, it doesn't become an issue. To say <laughs> that the NFL has anything close to this, my God, the NFLPA put out a statement 20 minutes after the NFL owner's ruling saying we were not consulted. That's why this is all disingenuous. It's all an easy, like, little game to sort of knock the NBA versus the You know, why don't people talk about the NBA's anthem thing? Come on, man. Either you're playing a you're playing a dog whistling game, or you're just you're not smart. So that's sort of my take, Robert. Um, I imagine you are probably, given what you said initially, probably with me on that. That you know this whole idea of putting the NBA versus the NFL on this issue, issue is so silly unless you point out the larger context at play. Here's the thing: the NFL, and I agree with you. The NFL, uh, the NBA. The difference is suppression. Uh, the NFL, when they don't like something happen, happening, they, they try to suppress it. Uh, they try to keep Colin Kaepernick out. They, they have all of these weird rules that they do. They're, they're wishy-washy in, in how they do things. When you try to suppress something, it's, very, it's, you know, it's the kid in the cookie jar type of thing. You tell someone not to do it, uh, they're going to actually want to do it more. 
And I, I say I say this all the time that if when Colin Kaepernick became a free agent, if a team would have just said, you know something, we respect Colin Kaepernick, we need a backup quarterback, uh, we're going to sign him. All of this stuff that's happening right now wouldn't be happening because the, the players would have felt like, hey, he's able to express himself, he has a job, just like everybody else has a job, and this stuff would probably – but every time this seems to be going away, the NFL does something really stupid which is odd because I know there's smart people that work in the NFL. They do something very stupid to just bring it back to light and re-energize the players to want to fight back because nobody, especially proud black men, want to be told you can, by rich white guys, to be told you can't do this. It's just mind-boggling to me that the NFL comes up with these, these, these situations and don't see that they're shooting themselves you know, in the foot and can't learn from the NBA, which says, hey, the, you know, the best way to make sure we don't have pushback is to let these guys and let these coaches just be themselves. And it's not bothering us. It's not messing up the play on the court. And you know something what happens with people that are racist and people that like to rile up type of stuff? If you allow people to speak their mind and they know that you can't, they, they can't, the racist, they can't affect you, what they do is they get silent. Because they only want to speak out on people that they know that they can affect. And those fans and, and those politicians, they know that they can affect the NFL, so they keep talking. They know they can't do that to the NBA. So you know what happens? You don't hear the president talking about the NBA because he knows that it, it, does, it won't have an effect you know, on them. And, and the NFL can't see this for some reason. It, it's just mind-boggling to me. Chad, I got into this a little bit with John Oran. I want to ask you about this because um, you'll obviously be paying attention as I will. But how do you anticipate the NFL rights holders covering this story now and then covering it particularly as the season games kick off in September? Um, You can't avoid it because if you avoid it, I mean, obviously you're doing a disservice, I think, to your viewers, but you're also, um, you're not going to be able to sort of get away with it. At the same time, the league, you you are a partner with the league and the league has made it very clear that, um, that this is for them a singular issue that, you know, they believe has hurt them and they are trying to figure out how to fix. Ironically enough, as Robert said, they ended up basically alienating every side here. I think the only big, the big winner here is Donald Trump, if we're going to be blunt. Um, So how do you expect the, particularly I think Fox and ESPN, um, that's that's interesting to me because Fox I have always felt is very pro-league. I think that's, I think that's very clear. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial or untrue. ESPN obviously had many uh, um, commentators who were sort of actively um, um, would be critical of the NFL, but now this is changing a little bit in the Jimmy Pitaro era. So what sh- that's, I, I realize I'm asking way too long a question, but what do you expect from the league's partners in terms of covering this? Well, I thought they did a uh... I guess a B, B-minus level job with it last year. But the, the, the thing cynically, Richard, is um, I, I feel like I, I feel like they're ultimately going to end up being complicit in this. But they're going to be in enough fear that uh, they're going to lose their contract down the road or, or they're going to anger Goodell or the league's ownership to the point that it has some sort of effect on their future with the NFL. And so they're going to ignore it uh, beyond maybe a passing mention on a pregame show if nothing significant happens. Now, if something significant happens, if 
40 Patriots players decide they're not going out on the field before the home opener, uh, or if, uh, if there's some other um, impossible-to-ignore show of unity with, with the Seattle Seahawks or the Houston Texans or whoever it happens to be, then they have no choice but to talk about it. But uh, I, I, think if, uh, I think if we're going into week one and uh, there's no indication that anything, uh, any kind of major response is coming from the players, other than maybe a few guys staying in the locker room, then they're they're just going to address it in passing and, and move on to uh, you know the Brady Garoppolo debate or whatever else, whatever any NFL issues are of that week, and um, maybe maybe saying it's complicit uh, that they're complicit is too harsh, but cynically, uh, it's impossible not to look at any of this cynically right now after the way the NFL has handled this. I just it's so it's so aggravating, so frustrating. The NFL. Uh, it's so vague about everything that they do. I mean, they say this was unanimously approved to vote, but they don't tell you how it was voted. They leave uh, Goodell discretionary basis on he just, how to suspend people, how to punish people, and he screwed up every single time he's had discretionary basis on anything. Uh, they do, you know, they have their 90 million, whatever it is, social justice platform, which cynically you look at and say, uh, that's just uh, that's just to put a good face on things, and they don't really care about anything. And so... The, you look at the way this is going to be covered with the league partners, with all the billions of dollars that are involved. I, I'm really, really skeptical that uh, anything significant is going to be said until there's a really uh, something happens on the field that is impossible for them to ignore. Robert, before we move on to another topic, is there anything you wanted to add? Yeah, as far as being complicit with the media, I think, especially NFL media, uh, I'm a little concerned. I mean, when I see tweets, you know, old tweets from people like Albert Breer that says that every single NFL evaluator says Colin Kaepernick is not a starting quarterback, start with that. And then you see a report saying that several teams, you know, view Colin Kaepernick as a starting quarterback. Um, you have to wonder, uh, not just, you know, the NFL media, uh, but just media in general, are you are, are you want to keep your sources, you want to keep your connection, you know, how far are you willing to go with that? And how far are you willing to go if you have a, a particular uh, political leaning uh, to slant your stories uh, possibly against uh, the players or Colin Kaepernick or anyone that protests against social injustice? Uh, you know, media in and of itself in 2018 is just, it's very concerning to me because, you know, you just, you don't know the motivation, um, you know, anymore. I mean, I, I grew up where, you know, when I went to school, the whole thing was you had to be unbiased and take your personal feelings out of it. And now it seems like everybody's personal feelings um, are in it. So I would just, you know, tell people that are listening to the show, make sure that you read a lot uh, differing opinions so you get kind of a full grasp of what's going on and then you can make your own informed decision. Yeah, we're. I can promise you, you guys will both be back on and, and we're going to discuss this uh um, a lot over the next uh, uh, six, seven months. What the NFL has done by its decision, essentially, I think, Chad, you sort of hit on this, is they've only made this more of a news cycle and they've only made this more of a story. Uh, that, that will be ultimately because now you're going to have teams doing their own thing. You're going to have certain players doing their own thing. They, they, interestingly enough, uh, I'm not saying the story was dead, but the story was sort of really um, had reached, I think, much more of a lower level of discourse, and now they've just blown it up again. So, I mean, really, honestly, just a spectacularly dumb decision by the league, but we'll get more um, We'll get more into that. Robert, I know you cover a lot of combat sports, and you're also a big uh, pro wrestling fan. What was your um, take on both Fox acquiring SmackDown 
and ESPN's recent acquisition now, uh, after the, the initial 15 pay-per-view cards that they got, but now they have the Fox part of the UFC package. Yeah, I think as far as the WWE, I, I think it's once again opening people's eyes to the fact that the WWE uh, is one of you know the, the biggest live TV shows uh, that are out there. And it's up there with uh, boxing and UFC. And, you know, it's not like the NFL, but, you know, it competes with the NBA and NHL. Uh, you know, it's not a traditional sport. It's sports entertainment. But, you know, when you have billion in front of anything, uh, it really legitimizes uh, the, the, the sport. And I, I'm glad that it's going to be on network television. Um, I think that's going to bring in a ton of, of new fans. Now, you know, there's a whole different discussion about the creative and all of this stuff. But it, it, it's, it's a big deal. And the WWE is a big deal right now. And I think the UFC – realize that it is ironic. You know, I find that, this is what I find ironic. The, the WWE was one of the first to go to a streaming type of service. And, and that's what they felt like the future uh, was that. Uh, but then as it's gone along, their TV side and their TV contracts uh, is what has, you know, kind of solidified and made their stock go up and everything. Whereas the UFC, it was a pay-per-view model that was kind of making their money, but they're like, hey, we need, you know, different ways to get our products out there. And now they're going, you know, a, a majority to the ESPN streaming service. Um, I think ESPN Plus, and I've been on the, the app for a while, they have so much boxing, and now they're going to have so much UFC. They're banking on the fact that those fighting sports fans are willing to pay that four ninety nine a month uh, to get to that catalog uh, of fighting sports. And it kind of tells you that, one, boxing has never been dead, uh, that UFC realized that they couldn't do this on their own just with pay-per-view. Um, so if you're the WWE, you're boxing, you're UFC, all of these new contracts just tells me that there's definitely, uh, from a, people like ESPN, Fox, uh, NBC, and USA, uh, uh, USA Channel, they all feel that these sports, uh, there's a big, big niche out there of fans that crosses over uh, to the mainstream. And so if you're one of those type of guys that, you know, all, you know, the UFC and boxing is dead and, and WWE is not real, you know, this kind of tell, tells that guy that, hey, no, it's real and it's spectacular. That's a little Seinfeld reference for you guys. You didn't know. Nice. <laughs> Chad, do you, uh, I know you're not the biggest pro wrestling fan, but obviously you have a sense of, um, ESPN's major, major commitment now to the UFC. I, mm -hmm. Very clearly, one of the reasons they're doing this is they want um, the younger male demographic, and they, I think they want to try to maybe win back some fans that may have left them over the last couple of years. Yes, I mean, my, my WWE experience is pretty much watching uh, Suburban Commando with Hulk Hogan uh, as <laughs> the lead actor. That, that is a ago. dated reference, Chad, but well done. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's for the old old. I saw the HBO uh, Andre the Giant documentary a couple times, so that that's my wrestling experience. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think there's a lot of curiosity around how much UFC was ultimately going to get, and just uh, to, to see that number that's uh, as staggering as it was tells you all you really need to know about uh, the appeal of this demographically to what ESPN is trying, still trying to uh, trying to reach and trying to acquire. The the, the younger viewers are. So elusive for uh, the sports networks nowadays, the national sports networks, and uh, I, I think they also feel there's some overlap there between maybe what they lost last year with NFL viewership, or what they what they fear losing with NFL viewership, and what they may gain from this. So uh, it's it's 
pretty uh, it's pretty fascinating to see uh, to see these two entities rise to the the degree that they have. But uh, I, I I wouldn't consider it a surprise, especially for the UFC, which has been trending this way for a while. Rob, uh, in terms of the WWE deal, which is really obviously interesting to both of us, given mm-hmm. that uh, you know we've watched wrestling for a long time. Um, I think of great interest for the WWE, of course, is to get that crossover um, appeal uh, on Fox. You know, they're they're going to be on a network as opposed to cable. And I'm wondering, because um, you sort of joked about this in terms of, uh, I know you want to talk about, you know, Colin Coward all of a sudden is going to fall in love with the uh, with the WWE after <laughs> knocking wrestling for a long time. But do you? Exp- I'm not sure actually what I expect yet. I have to sort of obviously uh, read the tea leaves. But do you expect? Um, the do you think we'll see on FS1 a more heightened interest in wrestling, uh, or do you think it's just going to stick to Big Fox and FS1 will continue to talk about you know LeBron and Durant and the Cowboys every day? No, I feel like if you're paying you know a billion dollars over over five years, you want to get the word out as much as possible, and they're still skeptics. Of wrestling, I mean, I don't think wrestling has been on, uh, you know, over the air uh, channel since uh, Saturday Night Main Event on, on uh, NBC, very, very long time ago. Uh, so you're going to get people that are curious, and how do you get them curious? I think if you know there are people that are listening to Colin Cowherd or Jason Whitlock and Skip Bayless and all of those guys. I think you definitely want to slide that in. I w- you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the Miz. On Colin Cowherd, I would agree with that. You see, what I'm saying? They're gonna bring, yep. you see, maybe you get John Cena, Ron, Ron, Ronda, Ronda Rousey will definitely be Rousey. appear. Yep. Well, hey, I don't know about Rousey. She's not that good when she does those appearances. But you know, I, <laughs> I'm just saying you gotta you gotta get their best guys that are you know promoters and talkers and the personable guys or the guys that cross over. Daniel Bryan, uh, Bryan, you're gonna yeah. get those Seth, guys. Seth, Seth Rollins, you know, on those shows. Seth Rollins is good on the stick yeah. and good good on air. People like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I feel that, you know, when they made this investment, um, this is it. I mean, this is wrestling uh, going to the main, you know, stream. I mean, when you could say as a product that you're going to be on Fox, the same, you know, station that does all of the NFL games, I mean, that's a big deal. So I think these guys uh, are very uh, ecstatic. I think Vince McMahon is going – hey, don't forget the XFL. It's coming out in 2020. Yeah, we'll, 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 may, we'll see. We'll see we'll, if it makes it, right? We'll see. Right, but, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's a wink-wink deal to get that on FS1 or something. So I, I think you're going to see a lot uh, to answer your question on, on, on the, the various Fox networks. Chad, I, I'm not sure I have, I've asked you about this. Um, and if I did, we'll just repeat it. But what did you think of Fox's foray with Thursday Night Football? Um, they paid a lot. The schedule they got is obviously better than, I think, previous Thursday Night Football schedules. That said... It's always hard to figure out, like, the interest in Thursday Night Football, you know? it's It seems so game-specific to me, at least uh, in 2018. Yeah, what they what they did when the deal was announced and uh, what the NFL pushes, too, is that how highly it ranked in the, in the uh, fall fall rating period. We saw the, the, uh, the announcement, I think it was yesterday, that NBC and Sunday Night Football was number one in the fall yep, schedule again that. for six, seven straight years, and... Thursday night football does better in that than uh, than you'd expect based on the sort of visceral reaction to the games and then not just this past season but uh, in general where it always feels like it's uh, two teams you don't care about wearing uniforms you've never seen before playing a really ugly brand of football. Uh, so I, I think 
for those for the networks that were bidding on it, CBS, NBC, Fox, um, it still had tremendous appeal despite the, uh, the, the the relative lack of appeal from the individual games because the numbers were still really good. So I think Fox is really happy with the deal they made. They're getting a, a, a better slate of games. At least it looks that way right now than the other networks had uh, when they had it. And I'm still skeptical. I don't. Uh, I, it just it has never clicked with me. This is the Thursday night football thing. It feels like it's a detriment to the teams. Uh, they're a little bit uh, uh, beat up from from having the, from their last game, and uh, just uh, I can't see it being much of a better product, even if the games are better. But uh, it seems like Fox bleeds a little bit. Rob, uh, I know that um, given what you do, you are online a lot, probably more than Chad and I, who are who are online a lot. Um, I'm, I, it's obvious why so many places continue to do Jordan versus LeBron. Um, but I wanted to get your perspective sort of on that as somebody who runs a site and, you know, you're, you're, you're privy to, I don't know if you use Chartbeat or whatever your audience sort of engagement numbers sort of that you use or, you know, or views or whatever. But um, what's your take on this? Is it basically um, that we're never going to basically um, ever stop doing potential content that we know a million people are going to click on, even if the content becomes sort of tiring and, and sort of nonsense. But, um, you know, I, I just, I feel like LeBron Jordan is like, it just reminds me of all the stuff on Tebow, all the stuff on Manziel and listen, I, I, all my places, sports illustrated, et cetera, were, they're all guilty of this. But once you find a topic where you see like the chart beat, like go crazy, you just basically never stop feeding the beast. You know, it, it, until I guess the beast maybe slows down. Yeah, I, I call it the uh, Kardashian uh, way of doing sports reporting. Uh, when I first, uh, years ago, when I was uh, still struggling a bit, uh, I would do these Kim Kardashian posts because, uh, you know, she was kind of back when she was with Reggie Bush. And they would always take a bad day to a, a decent day. And to, to I said, hey, you know something? If I'm having a bad day, let me find something with, you know, Kim Kardashian uh, in it. And I think. TV had a little slow to it, but is now caught up with it. You know, when, when in doubt, LeBron is a good a go-to, no matter what you try to attach to it. If it's, if it's Shannon Sharp wearing a goat mask and a jersey, uh, if it's get up saying, hey, our, our ratings are a little slow, let's have a huge discussion on LeBron and Jordan. Yep. Uh, I, I think LeBron, in and of himself, is the go-to right now during the, uh, you know, the NBA season. And I don't, I don't think that's going to change. I don't necessarily have a problem with it because, hey, in the end, it's, you know, dollars and cents and, and ratings and, and things like that. I think, uh, I think now what, you know, producers do, I think producers, you know, used to see what was, you know, in the newspapers back in the day. I think they go to the Twitter and say, you know, what are people talking about? And I, I say this, and, and this is the same thing as well, is if you notice, when we talk about games now, we talk about little weird things that happen during the games, almost as much as the games themselves. Go look at Chris Paul. And, yeah, we're talking about his injury and his play and stuff, but see how him shimmying um, on, on Steph Curry. See how <laughs> yeah. that was trending. You know, we talk about a shimmy. Not the shot, you know, not the game, not a three-pointer. We're talking about shimmy. When, when, the, when they ask Steph a question <laughs> in the post-game press conference, then I ask Steph, uh, you know, about the, well, they asked him about the loss and everything. But what's the, what's the question that more people engage in on social media? What's the one that NBA, uh, the NBA official Twitter account made sure they uploaded first? 
it was the question to Steph about how did you feel about Chris Paul shimmying against you? <laughs> exactly. And Steph saying, if I shimmy, then everybody else can shimmy. You can't be mad because of shimmy. That's the, the story. So I think it's just, it's just been a change. And, and I'm not, like I said, I don't have an issue with it because I engage in it. I know some people roll their eyes at it, but they may roll their eyes just like they did at Tebow and Manziel, but they watch. And the numbers, you know, don't lie. And, and that's why they're doing it. Last one for me. That's interesting. It sort of plays off Robert a little bit. Chad, um, you know, I get asked a lot, uh, certainly like when I do mailbags and stuff about NBA ratings and um, why they've been so great during this postseason, especially interestingly enough when a lot of the games have been blowouts, but the NBA ratings and viewership is great. Yes, it's not close to the NFL, but when you're pulling eight, seven, nine million viewers for a conference final, that's a great number in 2018. Um, the interesting thing to me, Chad, is um, what do you think the league looks like in terms of interest in viewership post-LeBron? You think is the effect will the effect be similar to Jordan in that we see a significant drop, or are there enough stars, the Durants, the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid's, whatever, that the continuation of the NBA's ascendancy uh, exists even without LeBron James in the league? It's funny because I think it ties into what you uh, Robert's talking about, which is, uh, how the NBA market thinks and how it handles uh, specific events from, from a game in a micro sense or uh, just star players, superstar players, and how they're, they're marketed uh, in a bigger picture. Um, I think it's, the NBA is much, much better off when LeBron retires, whenever that is, uh, five, six, seven years from now, than uh, it was when Jordan did because Jordan was this. He, I mean, he, the, it, it, everything orbited him. Yep. With, the, with the, the Nike campaign, with uh, Spike Lee, he was the first guy to really market himself in that way. Before that, you had like Bird and Jordan doing Converse ads and, uh, in print, you know, <laughs> occasionally one on TV. And Jordan took it to the next level and uh, several levels beyond that with Nike. And now it's even, uh, it, 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 it's levels above that in terms of the way these guys promote themselves. And I think the NBA is at a place right now where, uh, its superstar players are incredibly, uh, I, I guess, uh, distinctive among themselves. You have Curry, who's kind of the, the you know the baby face, the uh, good guy, but uh, occasionally drops an F bomb. Apparently, uh, there's never really been anybody who plays or looks like James Harden with a big beard and uh, such a distinctive player. And then you get Davis and Embiid and guys like that ascending. They're from all over the world. They're not just from the U.S. You know, Ben Simmons is Australian. He might be the next great superstar. Who knows? Uh, and so you've got a lot to, to put out there. And it's, uh, the NBA has really mastered how to do that, how to make its players appealing and uh, individually likable or individually distinct uh, beyond being what they are on the court. And I think that's affected ratings, too. I think uh, uh, you look around and, and just the, some of the familiarity of these guys and the, their popularity with the younger generation, whether it's whoever you're talking about, Durant, Steph, uh, Jason Tatum here in Boston is a young ascending player, that sort of thing. Uh, the league has really figured out how to position its superstars, and that's going to benefit them this time around when it's, uh, its biggest superstar of the last 20 years retires. Yeah, no better sport when it comes to attracting um, social media interest in the NBA. Uh, Rob, same question. What's your thought in uh, what's a post-Jordan, a post-LeBron universe look like in terms of uh, media I, I interest? Think, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be fine. Uh, only because, you know, don't forget, we went from Jordan and Kobe to Kobe versus LeBron, LeBron versus Jordan. It's always going to be somebody else. And we have such great young stars. 
and the fan bases are all re-energized, and they're funny guys. And, and these young guys in the NBA, they've embraced social media, um, and I think that's made them bigger stars and bigger personalities. Uh, they're, they're almost bigger than, you know, I mean, the, the game makes them big, but, you know, they, they also feel like entertainers uh, in a sense that the way that they communicate on, on social media. Uh, and I think LeBron is going to be a great ambassador uh, for the game after he retires. I think he's going to be very much like Kobe Bryant. Like, Kobe's not there, but Kobe's still there. You know what I mean? And I think LeBron is even going to be bigger uh, than that. And for all we know, LeBron's kid could show up and, you know, be the next LeBron. So it, 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 I think the NBA is in, in a very uh, a position of strength. Um, and like you said, it's because they've embraced uh, technology, social media, letting their players uh, be personalities. Uh, and really kind of letting that go. So I think, I think there's always going to be uh, teams out there. I mean, I, I, even if it was like a Houston Celtics NBA Finals, I still think you do great ratings. I don't know if it would do the same as, you know, LeBron and the, the Warriors. Uh, but I think people just like the NBA. They like the personalities, and that, that's going to continue on. All right, before I let you two guys go, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, before we end Episode seven of the sports media podcast with Richard Dutch. Well, I, I just I want to touch on what Robert just said. I mean, the social media aspect of it with the NBA is, is uh, individually and the league itself is brilliant, and you contrast that with what Major League Baseball does, which uh, you know, Mike Trout should be one of the most beloved athletes in the country, and people barely uh, he barely registers a, a, a Q rating with sports fans, and it's because the the NBA resists. Uh, the Major League Baseball resists everything. It's only now starting to get around to uh, letting highlights be shown and that sort of thing. And uh, does very little to market or promote its individual stars. Uh, the question always comes up: Is he, this Major League Baseball lack stars? It doesn't. They just don't. They don't allow them to be uh, promoted and uh, uh, become what the NBA stars do. Uh, what the what the force the NBA puts behind its players and their uh, their intelligence in marketing themselves. So. Uh, I, I have a huge amount of respect to tying back to the first thing we talked about today for pretty much how the NBA handles everything these days, important matters and uh, less important matters. Yeah, the interesting thing there, Chad, is that the Major League Baseball may have the most interesting person in sports right now in Otani, and yet, yeah. and maybe yeah. part of that is he's in the Angels and West Coast, where you know, and Roberts, uh, where Robert lives and stuff. But like, like, I, and I am a bigger NBA fan than than Major League Baseball fan. But if I'm being objective. That that is the most interesting person in sports right now. He's just doing something that hasn't been done in a hundred years. Yet he's you know, the guy walked down the street in New York and like he, nobody would recognize him. It's amazing. He's I, two I, minutes I, on Sports Center. That's what that's what he is right now. Yeah, which is amazing to me. I mean, some of that's baseball. Some of that's where he plays in Anaheim. Some of that's probably the fact he's foreign born. But that's that's you've hit on something with MLB. I mean, they have a once in a lifetime guy, and they haven't they haven't come close yet to pushing it with him so we'll see how right. that uh exactly. we'll see how that goes hey last one robert um money in the bank between nia jackson rousey what's gonna, what's gonna happen there um I, I think it's gonna be a disqualification i agree they can't have nia jackson losing and, and they can't have ronda rousey losing this early as well so exactly. you know how the wwe does that right uh, and just one last thing i don't know if it was you know the world or if there was some sort of cosmic force or was it Thanos, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> but the fact that the NFL came out with their anthem rule the same day that the Sterling Brown yep. uh, video came out, uh, I, that, that sounds like some sort of forces being put together. 
uh, to kind of really show us where we are with the NFL, the country, police, just just in general. And, it, it, I, you know, I, I just kind of looked at it. And I'm like, hey, this is just how the world, you know, works. And, and I hope people that wonder, who, who say that all the, the players are disrespecting the anthem and the flag, I hope they can, you know, find five, ten minutes out of their day after listening to this show uh, just to keep an open mind and then go watch that video of Sterling Brown and then maybe they will understand uh, why not just athletes, uh, not just black people, but also all different types of people of all different types of walk uh, of life. Uh, you know, and we see the things that happened in New York with the lawyers talking about the people that were speaking Spanish. I just hope they could take some time, look at that video and realize this is why people are so upset. This is why people are protesting. This is why people are just want equality and social justice and the, the, the justice system to be fair uh, to everyone um, involved. If you could take five minutes out of your time to watch the Sterling Brown video, maybe, I, I mean, I'm not hoping on it, I'm banking on it, but maybe you'll see the perspective of not just the players, but of a lot of people in, in our country right now who just want to be treated fairly and equally as Americans. That's well said, Robert. And I would say uh, the Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks statement on that is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen a pro sports uh, organization do in terms of an official statement um, from a sports organization. You just do not see, or at least I have not seen something uh, like that. So also that's worth checking out too. Chad Finn is the sports media writer and general columnist for the Boston Globe. Robert Littell is the founder and editor of Black Sports Online. Both of these guys have been on this podcast before, and they will again. Uh, Robert and Chad, thanks very much for taking some time out today, and uh, and I will catch up with both of you guys very soon. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Seth. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to John O'Ran, and my thanks to Chad Finn and Robert Littell for um, really interesting conversations. Uh, appreciate Lou Pellegrino. As always, producing uh, this podcast and finding cool music for it. Previous podcasts, if you want to go back and listen, and please do, and give us a review and a rating. Joe Tessator was the podcast before this. Prior to that, Peter King on Leaving Sports Illustrated. Then Doris Burke, the great ESPN analyst, sideline reporter. And Cheryl Reeve, the GM of the Minnesota Lynx, very active in terms of women's sports coverage in this country. Before that, Vern Lundquist, the iconic CBS Sports Broadcaster. Please check all those podcasts out. All right, for Lou Pellegrino, this is Richard Deitch, and you check those podcasts out on, I should say, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Sorry, Lou, I almost didn't get in there. So for Lou Pellegrino, this is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.